from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. Ben Grant joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts take down the Hamilton Tiger Cats 41-28. JB, before we get into it, let's just talk about Something in the Water Brewing just for a minute. This Saturday, Argos are playing the Montreal Alouettes. If you're coming out to the game, what better place to stop at than something in the water brewing for your pregame festivities? Go and get a longboat, the beer that is named and dedicated to fans of the Double Blue. There's a story behind it. Darius Bladek going over to something in the water, trying out the beer. The guys sort of, uh, one thing led to another. And before you know it, there's an Argos-themed beer. We're going to tell the full story with Darius Bladek at some point. I promise that's coming up at some point. But yeah, Something in the Water is the perfect location right between BMO and Lamport Stadium where the Argos practice. Uh, you got to get out there. If you haven't yet, I know a lot of you have, which is amazing. And I encourage you to keep going to Something in the Water. They got a lot of great beers, not just Longboat. But if you haven't been yet, you got to try a Longboat at Something in the Water in Liberty Village. JB, it felt to me like the Argos didn't actually play that well and yet somehow ended up winning 41-28. <laughs> Was that the sense you got too, or is it just... Um... Well, I mean, statistically, the defense played really well and everything other than points given up. Uh, I, I thought they played okay. I, it didn't feel like they didn't play well. It just felt like kind of a messy game and we had more talent. On the broadcast, it was funny. At the end of the first quarter, Mike Hogan and I were sort of talking about, oh, it's funny, the, the artists just don't seem quite right. And it's 17 nothing. And we were we were like lamenting the fact that they we thought they'd had kind of a, a rough quarter. Now the second quarter was a bit rough. They were going into the wind. They only end up scoring. Four, uh, they don't score any points in the second quarter. Hamilton scores four. Um, the wind was weird, and I don't know exactly how to explain it. It seemed most of the game that the little ribbons at the top of the uprights on both sides weren't really blowing that hard. And yet they have some flags in, I don't know which direction I'm facing here, but in one far end zone, there's flags that were billowing like it was a a hurricane force wind. And so it was hard to tell exactly what was happening on the field, but it clearly impacted things because Toronto with the wind ends up scoring 34 points in their two quarters with the win. So that's not that's not made up. It's not nothing. It was a difference in this game, but it's just such a weird field. You just it, it's swirling winds. It's it's heavy winds. It just seems like there's something here. Boris Beatty missing an extra point into the wind. All of that stuff happens. I, I guess whether it's psychological or actually happening out there, the wind is for real here, um, even when it's not real, uh, because people are very aware of it. But yeah, it was just one of those games. Uh, for you, it starts off, Chad Kelly makes a couple picks uh, early, and that's not like Chad Kelly to throw two interceptions. What did you see from him that, that maybe that I'm interpreting is not quite the normal Chad Kelly? Uh, well, I, I do think sometimes he gets impatient. Uh, I think that that is the one area that he 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 can still keep working on is he he gets frustrated he gets impatient he like any quarterback with a really strong arm and who's talented um they start to to try and fit in windows that aren't there uh I, I thought both picks were were not good were not good reads were into double coverage um, you know, the single high one is pretty basic. You don't throw the ball in the middle of the field on a single high. Uh, so I, I think it's just, 
you know, he trusts his arm so well. And there were some passes he made into tight windows that worked. And, you know, if you play that kind of game, you, you, you're going to, you know, you're not going to have 100% completion rate of tight window throws. But uh, it, it just felt like he was a little you know anxious to try and get the ball down the field and and if there were any area i would love to see him work on would be a little more matriculating down the field if that's what you have yeah it did seem like he was pushing the ball even when they were going into the wind he was pushing downfield and that just wasn't the answer like clearly the hooks the slants the quicks were the way to go into the wind today but his depth of target seemed to stay up there i think that with the two picks I was more frustrated by the one that came in the first quarter. I believe it was the first quarter in the corner of the end zone where the Toronto was driving. They ended up throwing a pick. Uh, he had cover one there. He threw a corner route, which is a good read against cover one, typically away from the the, the help. Uh, and instead, it just wasn't a well thrown ball. And that wasn't that's just not like Chad Kelly. Not only that, he hung it up a little bit, which also is not like Chad Kelly. And what that allowed to do is uh, George Jr., who was playing corner on that side, was able to actually leave his man, break off that and get involved with the play as well. So. That was one that I didn't like. The one that he threw to Katzantonis, I didn't think was as bad because I believe that was affected by the wind. Having watched the replay of it now, he's throwing a dig route to Curly Gittins Jr. I think he felt like he could zip it in there well before Katzantonis could get there to break it up because he was really deep. But because the wind held the ball up, Katzantonis not only got there, he actually got in front of Gittins Jr. for the pick. So that one I just felt was like a little bit weird. Like he's used to being able to complete that but it was just the wind that held that ball up. Uh, but yeah, for him to end up with only 200 yards passing is really un-Chad Kelly-like. But even the Argos offense, 41 points, and Chad Kelly throws for 200 yards. Their leading rusher has 79. <laughs> like they, It's not yeah. like anyone was dominant, and yet they still had 41 points. Yeah, I mean, that that's what makes... I mean, that's why they gave him the contract is... He doesn't have to, you know, stats can be very misleading. I mean, look, the, the Hamilton quarterback put up whatever, 390 yards. You know, nobody's going to build him a statue. Um, <laughs> you know, that it's it's when you make the pass and um, it's when you make the play when it's absolutely needed. And that's what he does even in the games where, you know, maybe he's, he's, he's pushing a little too much and he's not, he's not taking the 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 right decision but you know we've talked about it i'm okay with that for the most part because i think that's part of that's part of his makeup it's part of who he is and that generally he does make very good decisions um but i i would love to see him have a few more eight ten pass drives mixed in yeah for sure uh, and Sorry, go I was just going to say, especially when they have the lead, you know, there were a couple of times, there have been a couple of games where they're up big or up with a decent amount, and the other team starts to get back into it. And really what you need is a calm down drive, just kind of take a bit of the heat out of the other team's comeback. And sometimes in those situations, he seems like he really wants to just score immediately. <laughs> sometimes he does. Um, but I'd love to see a few more. Okay, let's put together a methodical drive and like kind of turn the temperature down on this uh, comeback. Yeah, he does that often where it's like, okay, all right, Chad, let's just let's just settle things down for a second. And he throws it like 55 yards down the sideline. Like, oh, okay. All right. Well, that's but that's that's who he is. <laughs> that's, that's just... feels like me, like in the fourth quarter of Madden, where I'm just kind of <laughs> tired of playing and I'm just going to I'm just going to take deep shots. <laughs> 
the the running game got going. It was slow though. I think AJ Olette only had 13 yards. I think the, the was it the first half or was that his first quarter? He he wasn't running the ball well in the first half. Ends up with 79 with a really nice average too. AJ had a great game at the end of things. Was you know ends up with good rushing numbers. Also has a 26 yard pass. Ends up with a perfect quarterback rating, one for one, 26 yards and a touchdown. Uh, what do you think of the of the running back option? Yeah, of the running game or the pass? No, the, um, the running the running um, the running back option pass. Yeah, it's, well, it's it's interesting on the TV broadcast. You know, I I think rightfully or or at least legitimately they brought up the question of is this the game to pull that out in. Um, you, you know, you could debate that. I think there there's an argument argument to be made that it it causes team to prepare prepare for it, and you know, secondary run support can't necessarily fly to the ball because you have to make sure that he's not throwing the ball. There are plus sides to to showing that play. Uh, I was a little surprised <laughs> they pulled it out, but you know, it was Labor Day. You know, you don't want to you don't want to muck around. Let's let's put this thing in the ground. My take on it is Coach Dinwiddie doesn't typically seem to like trick plays. Like, he doesn't run trick plays a lot. No. And yet he's run two in the last two weeks. But if you look at them and look at why, one of them is a flea flicker, and it was a middle-run flea flicker. And so clearly what Coach Dinwiddie's seeing on film, and we've seen it on, on you know, watching the broadcast or watching the game live, we've seen safeties, halfbacks, come crashing down as soon as A.J. Olette gets the ball. And they're helping in run support. And so Coach Jim, when he sees this, he's like, i got to back these guys up. So yeah. you run a flea flicker. Now suddenly the safety's got to stay deep. And you saw, like, Katzentonis wasn't coming anywhere near it uh, on those middle runs. He was, he was, unless he was being sent on a blitz, he was way back center field. But what you also have is corners pinching, corners helping in run support on the boundary. And so by doing this running back option pass, he rolls to his right throws it now suddenly that corner who in weeks past may have been coming up to try and slow down that run game he can't now he's got to stick with that receiver down the sideline means you don't need to stock block anybody down the sideline you can just burn by him and that corner better go with you otherwise maybe aj is going to throw it over the top for a touchdown so yeah exactly yeah i I think this is less about trick plays and more about how can we make sure aj let remains efficient in the run game how can we get these dbs off his back so he only has and to worry about d-line and linebackers you, you know, know what, you know what a throw Perfect. I, know, I know and Brissette's catch too like he goes up into the air it was such a, it was such a basketball play you could see him having done that a hundred times it's like the the jumping layup kind of catch and layup uh, he he's so good at catching touchdowns and Olet knows to throw him a high ball. He judges it perfectly, leaves the ground at the exact right moment, high points it perfectly, and the DB was just lost trying to catch up to that. It was everything about that play was was run perfectly. And then the touchdown celebration. I'm not <laughs> normally a big fan of excessive celebrations and excessive celebration penalties. Bringing out Mjolnir, uh, the Thor hammer and bashing it to the ground and having all of the Argonauts fall like in Endgame or uh, whichever movie Thor, it was probably Thor, uh, in which he did that, uh, was, was pretty epic. Uh, we know A.J. Olette looks more like Thor than perhaps anybody else on Earth. And so for him to go and grab that hammer for part of the end zone celebration, I think sometimes it's worth the penalty. That was, the game was out of reach. Ten yards really didn't make a difference there. Yeah, it... I, I mean, it's it's an interesting conversation, and then you get into the ejection at the end, and it's a tough balance to, you know, for sure. Look, this is Hamilton. It's Labor Day. Lots of juice. Um, I'm sure the coaches were were pumping that all week, 
And when you do that and you have the swagger of a 9-1 team, you know, you're going to have moments like this and you just have to kind of roll with it and don't let them become, you know, don't let them tip the boat. Just kind of like, all right, let's let's get through that. Let's never do that again, but don't get that angry at it. it it's an interesting coaching challenge too because you can't come down hard on them because part of what makes them great is the swagger and the fact that they're so pumped that they beat Hamilton. But then you also want to, you know, you don't want to turn into a team of yahoos so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting challenge that the teams that are really good face. Yeah, uh, and I feel like the coaching staff generally has managed the team fairly well in that regard. They let them, you know, they did clamp down this week. You know, one of the focuses at practice this week was it was a message that was reiterated again and again and again: cut down on penalties, can't take penalties, can't take penalties. It's been a problem, like you highlighted it earlier in the year where they were taking sometimes 10 and more penalties in a game. And that was something that was working fairly well for them early on. Things got a little bit weird at the end. There were, it was, it was chippy all game, but it got, it got a little bit more aggressive at the end of the game. And we did see flags start to come out. I'll just write that off to, you know, it's Labor Day. You know, it's not going to be buttoned down. You know, it's not a business trip. You know, coaches talk that stuff about this is a business trip. Labor Day in Hamilton's not a business trip. That's personal. That's going to have more juice and it's going to be a little messier. And, you know, it is what it is. It, it This place cleared out very quickly. I don't know if he's <laughs> maybe going to look over my shoulder here. That's what the stands look like in the third quarter uh like it it started to it started to clear up pretty fast because um toronto was clearly uh gonna win this game um i i guess once once the the coaxy touchdown came through when they were able to score finally going into the wind that really made a difference and and if they they knew if they could get into the fourth quarter up by multiple scores hamilton was not going to be able to come back going into the win with the style of offense they were running. Hamilton was running double tight and tight end with H-backs and like a really old-fashioned offense. It's just not designed to play from behind. Let's talk about some of the uh, special teams play. Uh, And it wasn't so much... It's not so much the... Leak did return the ball well, but it was the fear of Leak that made the difference in this game. You saw Hamilton, even with the wind, pooch kicking. And and taking no yards penalties three times the first three punts they took no yards penalties because they were paranoid about Leak burning them and he still burned them on a couple of those yeah. one where the if the punter doesn't stop him he's he's gone I thought he had it as he came around the edge no, there was no one there and the punter did a great job burning his way over there to to push him out of bounds but yeah I thought we were going to see him tie the CFL yeah. record I, this I, week I, he definitely he definitely it looked like he he almost had that no I, he's you know, it just, it just goes to show you what an impact he has because the the offense was not firing on all cylinders, but they kept being given fantastic field position. And when you're given fantastic field position, you know, in the CFL, that's going to end up in points more times than not. So you, you see the three phases all working together and how hard it is to beat a, an Argonaut team that has a kick return game. Yeah, they've had the league's best field position all season long. And yeah. part of it's because of the defense and the turnovers they're able to create. But they hadn't had an interception in a while now. It's actually been a few, I think it's been a few games since they had a pick. It might, did it go all the way back to touchdown Atlantic since they had an interception? It's been a while after starting the year hot 
and seemingly picking everything. And so it was great to see Jamal Peters get in on the action there and, and pick a ball off. They also got a, a fumble return from Flo Romilade. So they set up the offense with two short fields and then Javon Leak setting him up on specials. So that's another reason that Chad Kelly doesn't have the numbers that he usually does is he's working with a 55 yard field or less on some of these drives too. Injuries. Uh, some concerns. Uh, we were already a little nervous about the Argos coming into this game because Deshaun Amos suffered what uh, looked to be a, a pretty serious injury last week. He was obviously not playing today. Their solution to that was to put Tavares McFadden in at halfback and um, have Qantas Stiggers playing one corner and Jamal Peters in the other corner. It was a strange move to me. I know it makes sense from a, a veteran point of view. You want your more experienced players usually playing halfback. But it's that's a really tough move for McFadden, who's really just played corner. Suddenly to be have to turn both ways is difficult. And, and he looked awkward a little early in the game. I thought he rebounded very nicely. But there was a tough play early where he drew a flag and left Tim White open and uh, also uh, committed a penalty. So, so he was, yeah, he committed, committed a penalty, let his guy open, got turned around the wrong way, and everything went wrong for him. And to me, that was just a result of not having too many reps from the halfback spot. But then Jamal Peters went down for a little while, too, and they really had to start moving pieces around. And it got dicey. And then uh, Robertson Daniel came out for a little bit, and they were back to the situation they were in last week, where you've now got Darius Pickett playing safety, and Jordan Williams was playing a halfback for a little bit they they can't keep going through this every week at some point they're going to run out of defensive secondary members yeah i i mean i don't you know i know with with camp with nfl camp um you know closing and their guys be kind of out in the market now they they certainly need another they, they certainly need to add somebody else to the secondary I, i'd be i'd be shocked if they didn't take a shot at somebody um tomorrow in the on the wire yeah, I kind of think that might be happening. We have to we have to see how these guys respond from injuries too. It didn't I didn't see anyone where I thought, well, that guy's gonna be out for a long time, but a lot of guys got banged up. I know Oakman went down a couple times, Deontay Knight went down a couple times. We talked about Jamal Peters going down, Robertson Daniel didn't look himself. Uh, a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball really struggling uh, to finish this game also some cramping uh, we saw yeah. i think mcfadden it, went down it was a billion degrees yeah, out, yeah. On the field. if you weren't in the gta today there's just no way to explain how hot it was today i mean i you know we live here but it was like saudi arabia hot today it was un. it was like playing it was like playing in a furnace I don't have a sense of it because this is a closed booth, unlike at Beagle yeah. Field where we open the windows. It's actually really cold in here. I've got my jacket on because it feels like it's minus five I can five only imagine here. how hot it was on the field. It is, yeah. it is, the air is unbreathable today. It is so hot and humid. It is really something else. Well, from here, when you look down at the field, you can actually see a fog uh, between myself and the players because you see the heat coming off the turf is actually visible uh, yeah, which yeah. shows you how hot it is on the field so yeah I'm, I'm sure like no no wonder Hamilton didn't decide to go with their all blacks that they often do for this matchup they no. went with the slightly oh lighter gosh. grays no. but yeah imagine that and they had dead guys struggling too uh, let's get into let's get into some of the key moments in this game and what we saw from you know in terms of uh, highlights and uh, things like that. Let's start with uh, your player of the game. Who did you see as the the key guy in this one today? Um, 
I, n- nobody really jumped out, but I thought Darius Pickett played incredibly well. Uh, we haven't been talking about him quite as much as we were maybe the first six games. Um, cause I think that teams are, you know, aware of him and, and are, are, are game planning. Uh, but he played unbelievable today. You know, I think he ended up with nine tackles. He had a sack playing different positions. Um, he was, you know, he was flying all over the field. I thought, I thought he was the best player on defense. And even though they gave up a ton of points, um, it was still a pretty good defensive game, but just a weird one. Like they made some great defensive plays and then, you know, they just, they kind of broke down and, and let some others go, but they, the game was always in hand. So I'm not sure defensively if they were that worried about Hamilton moving up and down the field. Um, so I thought Pickett for me was, was the player of the game. I thought he, he kind of re retook his mantle as the, the, the sharp end of the defensive stick. Yeah, I think Pickett, he hasn't had one of those highlight games that we saw early in the season. Like, it seemed like every game early in the season, we had him as our player of the game or at least an honorable mention. He was doing everything. The stuff that he's doing now is more subtle. Again, I thought he helped his teammates out today. There were a few times where he drew the quarterback's attention on pressures when he wasn't blitzing, where he sort of crept in a little bit or was noticed. And you could see Powell kind of saying, okay, do I have to change the protection? Is he coming? And then it ends up being heat from the other side that comes in. So he does that. But how about the versatility too? To be in a bind like that where you've lost three defensive backs and you're able to just take Pickett and say, okay, go play safety. And he didn't look out of place. It's not like Darius Pickett as a safety is a weakness. Uh, and they moved Royce Mechie over to the halfback spot. Like that for most teams, if you've got your Sam linebacker suddenly going back to play safety, you're in a mess. Things are all over the place. Yeah. But yeah, what a what a position that is for Coach Mace to be able to to rely on him to play pretty much anywhere. I don't know if there's you know, he if you really wanted him to, he could play that Will linebacker spot too. What what an advantage to have a guy that can basically play what seven different spots on the field. That's that's massive. I thought, uh, and just quick shout out, I thought Robbie Smith had a fantastic game too. He did. You did know, you he, see? He's, he's one of those players who, you know, he's always pretty good, but some games he just really flashes and he'll make like, there was one play where he, he didn't have getting the sack, but his his move to get free was unbelievable. Uh, he had a monster special teams tackle. Like, I, I just thought he was he was really noticeable today. Yeah, his special teams tackle, he hit that guy so hard. I think it was McAllister he hit. Yeah. And you could hear it all the way up here. It was it was a loud, thunderous hit because he was he was running full speed. It was on kickoff. He was running full speed down the down the field. Nobody touched him. Yeah, I, I don't know what flung. happened on kickoff return. Like I don't know if somebody got hurt or somebody went down because it was good. And then there was like a, a stretch of like two quarters where it was really not good. And then it got good again. I think like McAllister's tough. I think as a kickoff returner, like there was one return he had where there was no space. Like I was watching the coverage team get down the field. Nobody left their lane. The contain wasn't broken. It wasn't anything like that. And just somehow he found this little oh, tiny down the sideline. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. There, there was, wasn't room. Was, no, I I didn't mind that one. There were a couple in the middle where it felt like they were giving him a little too much respect. And when you don't close the net fast enough, then then you're really in trouble. I think that's part of the problem, like philosophically, when you're sort of saying, let's let's just not let up a big return. Let's just play it safe. Well, that's almost guaranteed to be a big return. Yeah, it was, um, was, wasn't a, a standout day. I mean, they didn't give a touchdown, but it wasn't a standout day for the kick return unit. 
For my player of the game, I'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go to AJ Olette. Uh, I want to shout out Curly Gittens Jr. for really running those jet sweeps well because yeah. I think that helped open stuff up for Olette too. You notice the theme today? Like we've talked about how Curly opened up lanes for Olette. We talked about the flu flicker, the running back pass, all of these ways to that are designed to spread the defense out and keep guys off AJ Olette so that he can run effectively. Curly, one of the, I think it was the first drive of the game ends up taking that jet. It was perfect timing. Chad Kelly barely had time to get the ball to Curly, and that's when you know that that mesh point is is sound. And Curly, there was no chance the contain was going to be able to get him. Linebackers weren't going to be able to get him. It was the DBs who eventually forced him out of bounds at like the two-yard line. But that's that, that helps the run game. And then we saw Coach Dinwiddie use that same action later on in the game on a, on a toss play to Olette on a misdirection play, on a counter play. That's that's all part of the same package. And it's stuff Dinwiddie loves playing around with. He'll show you something early, and now we're going to play off of that for the rest of the game. So I thought that was well-designed, well-coached, um, and well-schemed from Coach Dinwiddie. So, yeah, and I, I also have to mention the the pass. Uh, if he's going to be <laughs> player of the game, it's not just on his running efforts. 79 yards, 12 carries, but... It's that 26-yard touchdown pass. If you throw a touchdown pass as a running back and you're running the ball effectively, then I think you have to get player of the game nod. The only thing he was missing was the reception. Didn't have didn't have a catch today. Uh, on this topic, I want to shout out Andrew Harris. One catch, but it was a beauty, and it helped put this game away at the end. Chad Kelly threw him a ball in the flats. Harris had to go back against the momentum of his body, make a beautiful hands catch, and then gather himself and then knock over a defender, stretching out the ball to get a first down and and keep that clock moving. So just another nice play. What a luxury it is to have those two backs. Adebaboye got into action at the end of the game, but you forget what a good running back he and Javon Leak are. Like these guys are, are good running backs. They never get a chance. They're, they're special teams aces because you've got Olet and Harris ahead of them on the depth chart. You're just not going to get a lot of carries. Uh, let's talk about all of that yardage that, uh, that Powell ended up with. Anything that worries you here? Like when you look back at this, 296 yards, three touchdowns. I know the defense statistically otherwise, uh, I guess, played okay. Are you worried about how much yardage he was able to chew up? Uh, no, actually, I was pretty impressed by him. I thought that on a number of plays, I thought his pocket movement was really impressive. Uh, he made a couple second second level throws that I was really impressed where, you know, like the first window looked for sure where he was going to go. And he was actually looking at the second window behind and he made a couple of nice throws to White. Um Look, I think I think Hamilton, like I don't know if he's a star, but I think he's I think he's the quarterback. I I would I would go with him as your quarterback. I think he he has um a lot of talent. I you know, I don't think like I think he looked better than Meyer did last week. Um That's interesting. I, I, not not really. I don't think I think there were a couple of times where his pocket movement was really good and he just got away from the sack. Um the one area that's interesting that is the red zone defense is the Argos are eighth in the league in allowing touchdowns in the red zone. And hmm. um, that's an area I think that can probably be tightened up a little bit, especially passing. You know, there's, they're not very good this season at defending the red zone in the air. I know today on 
those redstone scores, they seem to they they seem they, they love zone coverage first of all in oh. the red zone, which I I hate. Um, they're in zone a lot. A couple of times it looked like the right zone to call, but the guys just had poor angles. It's, it's different, right? Like when the field gets really small like that, suddenly your spacing is different. It's it's just hard to to make that adjustment. They have struggled a little bit with that. I, I felt like and also zone becomes man. <laughs> yes, well I know it's well if it's if it goes long enough and sometimes those plays like, are over so quickly. As soon as he comes into your zone, now it becomes man. You don't just watch the guy in your zone. I got the zone covered, coach. Yeah, well sometimes they do, and you know that's the result. Yeah, and that and they're rolling new guys in too. And I know, but uh, that would be it. Honestly, I th- I thought. But the tackling is still pretty good, and, and uh, just the red zone uh, pass defense uh, it was, is a little worrying. And to only let up 63 yards rushing when clearly that was Hamilton's plan. Like Hamilton, yeah. we talked about earlier, they're running tight end offense. Like they were, the goal today was to run for 200 yards and play from uh, a, a point of uh, having the lead because Hamilton just isn't built to, to come from behind like this. And Powell, while he is. I think a really intelligent quarterback. They just haven't seemed. They don't are not really taking the um, taking the, the the safeties off yet. Like with him, it feels like they're being very cautious with his development because they didn't really let him throw down the field too much. He went a couple times down the field to White, but for the most part, there were shorter throws. Yeah. I, I just to throw in because you talked about being impressed with him. What I really liked about Powell is his decision making because he doesn't have really any measurable that stands out. You know, he doesn't have a no. particularly strong arm. He's not fast. He's he's not he can't throw the ball a mile. He's not overly tall or, or big or strong, but he makes really good decisions. He plays smart football and is sort of in a game manager role at the moment. I wonder yeah, he, what he, he would look like if he were given a little almost, bit more range. I mean, he's like a perfect backup. Yeah. Yeah. Who, but and, you know, and he probably will be a backup in the league for 12 years. And he could be. He certainly looks like it right now. Like I, I've I've been nothing but impressed with him the last two games. Like him last week against BC, I thought played a beautiful game. Smart, high percentage throws. Did what he was supposed to do. Uh, threw it away or took a sack sometimes when when he was being threatened instead of throwing into into trouble. And even today, like the pick that Jamal Peters made was a pretty ridiculous pick. Yeah. Jamal Peters is between two zones, somehow gets the depth. And, you know, he's so long, he's able to leap and just get his fingertips on it, tip it to himself. So that, it's not like that was a bad decision. It's just Jamal Peters made a, a superhero like play to, to come up with that pick. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about it, but it's back to back games now where Mayer and now Powell have put up really big numbers. I just think it's worth keeping an eye on going forward. Uh, play of the game. What is your play of the game, JB? Hmm. Um, uh, probably the coaxy touchdown uh, put the game out of reach. Uh, it was a nice, it was probably Chad's uh, best moment after the opening drives. Uh, beautiful back shoulder like play undefendable uh when you when you run it correctly you know shows again how tough it is to defend the argos you know the, who you know you gotta you gotta watch the virus you gotta watch coaxy you gotta watch curly kittens there's just a lot to deal with and uh it was you know it, was, it it iced the play that again is you know that's the play you need you need that throw at that point of the game uh, rather than a garbage time touchdown that doesn't mean anything. So uh, I thought that was the play of the game. It, 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 at that point, it was just killing time till the end. 
It was a great throw. And again, that relationship, the dynamic between Chad Kelly and Coxie, like two guys that worked together all last year as part of that second unit. And they're working so well this year. Like for for what we've seen in the decline of uh, the use of Curly Gittens Jr., because he was McLeod's guy without question. They had yeah. great chemistry together. It seems like Kelly has picked that up with Coxie. And when he needs someone to make a play, when he needs someone to be on the same page as him, it seems like it's always DeMonte Coxie. The best throw Chad Kelly made, though, I would say, is not the coaxy touchdown. How about that throw he made to Devaris Daniels that didn't oh, end yeah. up counting because his foot went out of bounds. Hamilton won that challenge. There were three tie cats all closing in on Devaris. He gets it over one in front of another and just enough away from the third yeah, exa- tie cat. Well, exactly. I mean, that you just have to, you know, to celebrate that, you got to live with the occasional pick and... You know, that's okay. That's who he is, and I'm happy with it. (laughs) Into the wind, no less, as well. So that was, yeah, that was something. My play of the game, it's not exciting, or it's not interesting, rather, because it's the, it's sort of what you would expect. I got to give it to A.J. Olet's touchdown pass, because running back, throwing a pass for a touchdown, it's just... I know how hard, like, having coached for a long time, having been an offensive coordinator for a really long time, I have, on many occasions, come up with a trick play that we've worked on and perfected, and I'm waiting for the exact right moment. I cannot tell you how many times something has gone wrong uh, that has caused the play to fail. And to see Coach Dinwiddie, who uses them so infrequently, go back-to-back weeks with not just successful trick plays, they're both touchdowns. That's huge. And it absolutely put the nail in the coffin today and resulted in a touchdown celebration that you'll probably see rerun on TSN <laughs> a billion times with him taking out the hammer, slamming the ground. Everyone but Curly Gittens Jr. falls. I think he maybe he wasn't there for the, the <laughs> for pregame the, meeting. He might not have been on the text chain on that one. Yeah, because uh, yeah, he just stood there and everyone else fell to the ground. But yeah, what a but what a play that was. It was just a huge like on Labor Day against Hamilton, it was just a, a big sort of in-your-face moment um, to, to put it away. So for me, that's the play of the game. It's a little obvious, but I, I think I, I'm going to stick with that one. Uh, the Argos have six points on the Alouettes. They're up six points. They've got a game in hand as well. They're going to this game with two options coming up this week. They can either just sort of tell everyone, you know, you, gotta, you just got to tough this out. If you're hurt, you're banged up. I know most of the team is. You just got to weather this out. It's a short week. They've got tomorrow off. They're going to practice Wednesday and Thursday. Friday's the walkthrough. Game Saturday. Short turnaround. Montreal's coming off a lot of rest. Do you just bandage everyone up and say, look, you just got to go out there and win this game, knowing that that now puts you eight points clear and you can start now kind of rotating guys, resting guys a little bit. It's not over. It's still early, but it would be almost done if you're up eight. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting debate. Uh, I do think so. I think just in general, you don't want to get too clever with stuff. And when you have a chance to put a dagger in, then you try and put the dagger in. You don't get too cute about down the road we'll do this, yada yada. Well, so the danger. I, sorry, go on. No, no. I, I I mean, however, I would temper that in that you know this is a. This is, you know, the goal here is not to beat Montreal. The goal is to win the Great Cup. So, I do think you you have to temper it. You, it's not it's not an all hands um, kind of game. It's somewhere in the middle. And the of course the absolute worst would be get these guys bandaged up and out there next week. And what if you don't win? And now guys are really reeling physically. And now you got to go to Montreal 
and finish the second half of that back-to-back. Like that would be the worst case scenario. So I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I don't really, I think we got to wait and see how guys respond. So take a look tomorrow. How bad is Peters? You know, what what sort of state is he in? How is Robertson Daniel feeling? Uh, what's what's open like right now? What's Deontay Knight like? Like those are the those are the questions you need to answer before you can really make a call on that. But I think you've built a little bit of cushion where if you're not sure, you have to err on the side of caution and rest guys and you know go out there with what you have. The, the team's got good depth. The offense again. You know, they, they're probably going to be mad. Like watching film this week, I bet you the offense is is upset with how a lot of things went down. You expect them to come out hot next week. They may have to bail the defense out a little bit next week if they've got guys who just can't go. All right, JB. Well, that will just about do it for us on this post-game uh, reaction podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you. <laughs>